CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back talking more CFL football together again this week. Yes, I am back from illness, uh, and we are ready to talk CFL football. Michael Garrell, how are you this evening? Not too bad, not too bad. I'm still, you know, it's Monday, and there's days where, quite frankly, you cannot make sense of what happened in the CFL this week, and I think that would be one of those weeks. Yeah, certainly a lot to talk about, and uh, by the sounds of things so far, the doorbell is fixed, Mike? Yes. Yep. <laughs> no more doorbell? Don't, don't have to worry about a doorbell. Wonderful. Uh, we're going to get into talking about some of the games from Week 10, well, all of the games from Week 10 in the CFL here shortly. Uh, the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out all of the other great CF Pod Network shows at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. Uh, Mike, before we get into talking about the games here, uh, a couple of things I do want to talk about is some of the initiatives the CFL is uh, taking part in right now. And one of the major ones is the Diversity is Strength campaign, which began, which took off last year. And they brought it back again this year. And uh, a little different this year. They're honoring, uh, I believe it's 12 trailblazers uh, of the CFL. People, you know, who have made an impact and in the spirit of diversity around the CFL. Uh, what have you made of the Diversity is Strength campaign so far? Well, I mean, all joking aside, uh, it finally made Chris Jones wear a green t-shirt. <laughs> um but no, on a more serious note, uh, it's a wonderful initiative. Uh, uh, very interesting to hear uh, the stories in what the diversity and it, what what the whole diversity strength initiative. Uh, you know, just what it means to to the d- different players. Right, and not only players, coaches, GMs, uh, others involved in organizations. Uh, yeah, the 12 guys, uh, you, you can read all about them at on uh, on cfl.ca slash DIS, but uh, uh, BC coach Wally Buono, uh, Johnny Bright, Joey Moss, both representatives for Edmonton, uh, Herm Harrison, John Helton for the Stampeders, Neil Hughes for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Abby Khan was honored here in Winnipeg uh, Friday night uh, when the Bombers faced Ottawa. He's their uh, trailblazer. Uh, Bernie Custis for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Orlando Bowen for the Toronto Argonauts, uh, Moten Hopkins and Joanne Pollock for the Ottawa Red Blacks, Joanne Pollock being the first female GM in uh, North American sports, and uh, for the Montreal Alouettes, Herb Trowick, the first black player in CFL history. So go to cfl.ca slash DIS to check out all of their stories and while you're there, buy one of those nice, fancy new uh, diversity is strength shirts the CFL has. I got, uh, I picked up the Abi Khan one at the Bomber game on Friday, and I, I love the shirt. It's a great, it's great initiative the CFL is putting on. You know, and uh, 
I don't want to take away from the other individuals, um, because they're all, you know, worthy individuals, but I, I would recommend that everybody go back and listen on the CJOB Audio Vault here in Winnipeg to the interview that Bob and Doug did with Abby Khan and just the emotion of what, you know, the whole initiative means to him. I mean, I, I was I was out at the cabin and I was listening to the interview and I'll, I'll tell you what I I stopped completely what I was doing just to listen to that and and to hear how much it meant to him and his background and especially with Abby's uh, business venture success uh, in Winnipeg since his uh, retirement from the CFL it's it's quite something absolutely. And uh, another initiative that has kicked off for the second straight year is the Grey Cup Fit Up Exercise Challenge, Mike. And uh, this year, it's actually sponsored by Sun Life Financial, uh, has signed on to sign up or to sponsor the Grey Cup Fit Up. And for those that don't know what it is, uh, it started August 18th, and it is 100 straight days of committing to healthy habits leading up to the Grey Cup, which is November 25th in Edmonton this year, whether that's exercising, eating healthy, taking steps towards improving your mental wellness, uh, the CFL community united in trying to live a healthy lifestyle. So uh, go to cfl.ca slash sunlife, check out everything to do with that. Uh, also check out the hashtag Grey Cup Fit Up on Twitter. Uh, you'll see people tweeting every day, Mike, uh, about all of their exercise and healthy habit ventures. And uh, this year, you can even take these steps and win a trip to the Grey Cup in Edmonton with it. If you go to cfl.ca slash sunlife, uh, you can enter the contest, uh, explain why you're taking part in it, and uh, you may end up going to the Grey Cup in Edmonton this year. So another great initiative. I am proud to be taking part in it again this year. Uh, I did it last year. 100 days is certainly not easy, uh, but with the support of everyone in the community, we can all do it. You know, and I, I was just browsing on, on Twitter, you know, just in the early days of this. Like, it started Saturday, and obviously we'll continue right up to the great top. Um, just the support that the participants give each other, it is really, it's really, really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, strength in the CFL community, everyone uh, supporting one another. That that that's how you that's how you get it done. Yeah, and, and honestly, Ryan, this is what separates the CFL from the NFL. No disrespect to the NFL, but I don't think you would have either of these campaigns going on in the NFL because it's so corporate. Right. And in the CFL, it's. It's all about Canada. It's all about the fans. And, and quite frankly, it's a lead that's driven, driven and fueled by the fans. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think it's safe to say we are both very proud to be members of the great CFL family that supports these initiatives. Uh, the CFL family is a wonderful family where, you know, regardless of your background, regardless of, you know, your life story, uh, we can all unite together to uh, enjoy a game of football. I uh, appreciate and appreciate all the initiatives this league has to offer. And let's also, too, I mean, I think, you know, some of this stuff anyway may have been planned, you know, before Randy Ambrosi became commissioner. 
But I'll tell you what, I'm very happy with the job that Randy's done. You know, bringing small initiatives in, you know, player safety, and I, I think just being one of them. But I, but I really believe that, you know, Randy's looking out for the best for the CFL, the best for the league, and, you know, he's kind of been in in, in everybody's corner, right? Right. And, I, and if he can kind of bring all sides together for – the betterment of the CFL, and I'm not going to get into a discussion about, you know, what what the issues are, because there are issues, and we'll get into that maybe in the off season. Right. Um, but so there is football to be played, but let's not kid ourselves. Randy Ambrosi is one of the reasons and a big part of these initiatives that go on. Absolutely. Um... Let's get into talking about the games from Week 10 in the CFL, Mike. It started off Friday night at Investors Group Field where the Bombers put up a stinker. 44-21, the Red Blacks come in and take this one. Uh, it was not close. Uh, not not, not the shining moment for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, uh, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll say this about the Bomber game. I was listening to the game every minute of the game. I had the sense late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, that it wasn't the Bombers' night. We're going to talk quite a bit here, I imagine, about the Bombers' side of things and, you know, Matt Nichols' comments and uh, the Boo Birds at Investors Group Field. But uh, I don't want to get, I don't want Ottawa to get lost in this. So I want to talk about Ottawa's performance first because I feel like we're going to. Dwell on about the Bombers and then not have time to talk Ottawa. Um, Ottawa played a heck of a football game. And that offense, I mean, it's it's an insanely high-powered offense. And their their big struggle has been, you know, putting touchdowns up on the board uh, for the most part. But th- there's, they're definitely putting the yardage up. They ate up time on the, the time of possession all night long. I mean, the Bombers had no answer defensively for this Ottawa offense. Would it be fair to say that Ottawa beat the Bombers at their own game? In what way? Ottawa basically did what usually makes the Bombers successful and won? Well, I don't think the Bombers usually throw for 361 yards and tear you apart through the air. No, but I mean, like running down the clock, grinding it out, using your running game. Right, that, that that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's the thing actually for Ottawa. Uh, quite recently, seemed to almost be the issue was they couldn't get William Powell going for a number of weeks in a row after a strong start to the season. And sure, Trevor Harris can throw it through the air all day long, but uh, when when you need him to punch it in, you know William Powell had himself a game here. Eighteen carries for 106 yards. Uh, picks up a touchdown on that as well, and then four catches for 46. So, I mean, the Bombers' defense was on the field all night long, and Ottawa kept running it down their throats, passing it down their throats, and that's how you win a football game. You know, if you can dominate time of possession, and I'll just look at the final number here on that. Uh, They had the ball, okay, 33 minutes, uh, 21 seconds, compared to 26.39 for the Bombers. So seven extra minutes. It was definitely a lot larger of a margin in the first half. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ottawa dominated this game. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, and also, too, it's an interesting thing. Uh, 
the bombers were undisciplined in the penalty department. Now, oh. what that has to do with Ottawa, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure at this point. But it was a calamity of errors on the bombers' part that kept Ottawa on the field, and I, I think. I don't know about you, Ryan, but I'm about ready to put Trevor Harris into that upper echelon of elite quarterbacks in the CFL. He's now, I believe, had six 300-yard passing games on the season. In the last two weeks, I think he's thrown uh, for something like 800 yards. Um, He had, you know, 361 this week, 487 against Montreal the week before, uh, and then the week before, a huge game against Toronto even as well with 381. So, I mean, that's three straight weeks over 350 yards passing. The knock on him is still the last two games he's thrown for almost 800 yards, over 800 yards. But he's only thrown two touchdown passes. Yeah, but you know what? They're getting it done in other ways. I mean, full credit to Ottawa's defense. I mean... For some reason, Matt Nichols had a reluctance to go deep, and that just speaks to the way the cornerbacks played against the receivers. Well, that, you know, he, he I, didn't like the matchups on the field. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. You know, the two long touchdowns he did throw were, were long bombs to Darvin Adams. Yeah, well, one of them to me was kind of in garbage time, to be very honest with you. Very fair. And, and the first one is when it's eight to nothing. Right. Like, like, I don't understand. How many touchdowns did Ottawa have? Four? I believe they had four. Uh, Dom Davis had two rushing touchdowns from the one-yard line. Uh, William Powell had one in the fourth quarter, and then they had the Avery Williams uh, fumble return for a touchdown. Okay, so four touchdowns, four two-point conversions, all converted, some of which on a second opportunity because of a penalty. That's four extra points. Here's the thing. Ottawa does it right, and not enough teams do. You should be going, ask Derek Taylor from TSN, and he'll tell you this all day long. He's the he's crunches his stats. You should be going for two on every single touchdown. Because, and, and Ottawa proved why. You know, they have the best kicker in the CFL. He's like 26 of 27, something like 96, 97% on the year. Like... You would think with the guy like that, oh yeah, you'd send him out to kick a convert every time. Well, no. If you kick, if you go for two points, you only have to actually succeed half the time to make up what would have happened if you always kicked a convert. Teams, on average, succeed you know over sixty percent of the time. So mathematically, you should always be going for two. Ottawa does it. I I I heard people at the bomber game wondering like what the heck why are they always going for two their kicker must be injured no it's it's common sense well I mean to be honest with you too I mean the bombers like I'm surprised Michael Shea didn't say you know what they're going for two we have to match them well the the, the one that drove me nuts and I think a lot of people nuts is they get within 18 uh, with that Darvin Adams touchdown right at the start of the fourth quarter. You you make a two-point convert, it's a two-score game. You're down 16. He elects to kick one, and you're down three scores. So if you could take the potential for a two-score two game or a three-score game, I don't see why you don't go for that. 
Well, the one that actually drove me crazy more so than that one, and I would concur with that one. But if you want an honorable mention, how about in the first quarter when it's after that first touchdown and the Bombers respond and they have a chance to make it 8-8? Are you telling me you don't trust Andrew Harris on the two-yard line? Well. Like, that's what that honestly tells me. Yeah, I don't have as much of a problem with that one because it's earlier in the game, but really... I mean, Ottawa proved that uh, teams definitely need to be going for two more often. I, I could see, like, late in the game, okay, obviously if you need one point to tie or two to win with the in the final minute, yeah, you should probably be going for the one point uh, unless you're really ballsy and want to go and try to snatch the win with a two-point convert and potentially lose the game. I could see Chris Jones doing something like that. I'm sure he has. Oh, oh yeah. But early in the game, you, you you should always be going for two. And uh, Ottawa taught us that lesson. You know, they racked up, uh, what was it, eight extra points? Uh, or I guess four extra points, uh, assuming they would have made a one-point convert. But um, great game by Ottawa on all sides of the ball here. I thought they played really well. Um, and they definitely surprised me. And now you have an Ottawa team that's 6-3, and three, basically 6-1 and one against teams that aren't Calgary, although... Maybe, you know, now we can't say that Calgary's unbeatable because they lost this week, which we'll get into later. But still, Calgary is definitely the top team in the CFL. They're 6-1 and one against everyone else, and that one loss was a last-second heartbreaker against the Argos. So this is a very good Ottawa football team, and I think they're going to run away with the East Division. Yeah. Um, what is it now, a six-point lead? Yeah, I think Hamilton's three and five, right? And so is Toronto. Yeah. So, the, but Toronto's ahead of Hamilton. Well, they're tied. Well, in theory, from what I saw, Hamilton's in third right now over Toronto because of the tiebreaker. But right. keep in mind they haven't played a head-to-head game yet. That's coming. Yeah, I mean Ottawa is looking like the beast of the East right now, and uh, I think they'll continue to put it together and. If you can't stop this offense, you might have a hard time. Uh, let's let's talk Winnipeg side of things here, Mike. And the big you mentioned one of the big things was discipline. Yeah, a lot of talk about terrible refing in this one. Um, yeah, there were definitely some blown calls. You know, some roughing the passer that I personally don't think was called. But at the end of the day, the Bombers put themselves in a position to be called. There was one rough in the past or two, and I saw this on video, that was called against the Bombers for a hit on Harris, but shouldn't have been. Yeah, and, and that's what I was just talking about there. But a lot of these penalties, if they're calling it, chances are you did something that you shouldn't have. And I know they do right. blow some, but this is one of the things that draw, drives me nuts, going to a game and and sitting in the stands at a game and... Well, we'll talk about Boo Birds in another sense in a second. But, you know, you watch a play, every time it's an incomplete pass or a drive ends, you hear the boos, you hear the heckling, oh, where's the pass interference call on that? Every time there's a flag thrown on the Bombers, and this happens around the CFL, you, you hear people calling for, oh, that's not a penalty. Some of these are legit folks. Like, I, I understand there's, there's times... When, yes, referees blow calls, and certainly I don't necessarily blame them at the high speed they have to make them. 
But a lot of the times, let's be real here, it's questionable. And you watch it on the replay and you can sit there and see, oh yeah, that's why we got called for that. There's a reason the fans are in the stands and the referees are on the field. Absolutely. Honestly, and people don't want to hear this, the referees are trained with what to look for at high speed. Yeah. And, and 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 they're human, right? And that's what video review is for. And maybe that's a discussion for another day in terms of, you know, maybe they need to change the challenge format or something of that matter again. Because you only get one per game. And if you're Mike O'Shea, you wasted that pretty early on Friday night. And this isn't just relative to the Blue Bomber game. Why do we have an eye in the sky in the CFL? Get a bird's eye view? To fix egregious mistakes. There was an egregious mistake in the Saskatchewan game, which cost Calgary a chance to come back. And I'm not saying that, you know, they would have come back had they called the P.I. We're definitely P.I. Dave Dickinson didn't have a challenge, and he couldn't use it. Um, He couldn't use it because he already used it. So my moral of the story is, can't the eye in the sky call these egregious marginal things so that coaches don't have to throw challenge flags and waste their challenge on something that really should maybe be corrected by the eye in the sky? Yeah. One of the other major things in this football game was Matt Nichols. Uh, People, you know, Matt Nichols, his record as a starter. Do you know what his record as a starter with the Bombers is, Mike? I don't have it offhand. Uh, like six or seven losses, right? And 20-something wins? Something like that, yeah. Something. Like, he, he has a very good record as the quarterback of the Bombers. I believe the second most wins over the last two years in the CFL to Bowie okay. by Mitchell. Well, here, here's a way for you to figure it out real quick. Bombers were 1-4 and four last week. 1-4 two years ago when he took over. Yeah. They finished that year 11-7. and seven. Okay, so 10 wins there. They were 12 and 6 last year. So 22. Correct. And now you take out the first three games this year, 1 yeah. and 2. Yeah, he was uh he was four, he had four wins this year. So something like 26 27 wins as the Bombers starter. Like Matt Nichols, there's been a lot of talk, you know, is he a good quarterback because well, he I don't think he has a single game over 300 yards passing this year, and that seems to be the mark of a good quarterback, according to people, which I don't know if that necessarily is the case. But he certainly has the track record as a starter in Winnipeg. Uh, His touchdown-interception ratio is not as good as it was last year. I'll give people that. There was a lot of flack on him coming into this game, and there was a heck of a lot of flack on him on Friday night. And... uh, you know, people weren't happy with the offensive output of the Bombers. They uh, they were struggling. They had a lot of two and outs in this one. Um, late in the game, for whatever reason, Matt Nichols is still in there. Um, I certainly was among the people that think he should have been pulled at that point. Not be- necessarily because of how, you know, he was playing, but just in the sense that you don't want him to get injured late in the game where the game's likely out of reach. And you have a young quarterback you want to put out there. But the, he he goes down with an arm injury, gets helped off the field. 
sits out a couple plays, Chris Traveler comes in, performs well, and all of a sudden, mid-drive, Matt Nichols comes back out there, and the Boo Birds rain down on him in Winnipeg uh, throughout the stadium. Do you... How loud was it? I mean, I heard it on the radio, but how loud was it in the stadium? It was decently loud. Like, there were quite a few Boo Birds. And, and, and Matt Nichols was not happy about it after the game. You know, he went out and said something along the lines of, that hurt him to hear. He's put his heart and soul into this team. Uh, he took a pretty decent hit to his elbow and came back and to hear the Boo Birds, yeah, that hurt him. And he, frankly, I don't blame him. Well, I hate to play devil's advocate, but what's not being reported is if you've seen any of the videos, you'll hear a voice in the background. Somebody said something, and I think I know who this is. Like, don't say that, or I wouldn't do that, or something like that. Oh, yeah, it was was Darren Cameron, the PR guy for the Bombers. He said that, and it was confirmed to me from people that I've talked to urging his quarterback not to do that. And and to be honest with you, I really don't think the crowd was booing Matt Nichols. No, no, I absolutely don't think either. But he was also, you know, the offense was booed off the field a couple times earlier in the game. People have been upset. You know, you can tell this city hasn't won a Grey Cup in a long time because people get antsy as heck. They they forget we had a fairly substantial winning streak coming into the game, too. Yeah, and, and, you know, they throw up a dud, which every team will do once in a while, see the Sunday night game that Calgary played. And, you know, Matt Nichols, I here here's the thing. I get why people were booing, and I agree with you. It was not necessarily directed at Matt Nichols. It was more so, Mike O'Shea, why are you putting him back out there? A, he hasn't played great. B, he Especially- just got injured. Especially when you've had your most decent drive offensively in quite some time with your other quarterback. Right. So, so I, you know, I, I, I agree. Like, I, I understand why the Boo Birds came out there. But I also understand where Matt Nichols is coming from. And, and I think this is a case where perhaps both sides can be right. People pay their money to go to the game. They have the right to express themselves and that they and their displeasure with the situation, and that's what they did. And Matt Nichols, you know, he has the right to come out and voice his. And people saying maybe you know Matt Nichols shouldn't be saying these things. Maybe he needs to suck it up a little bit. I applaud him for saying that because do we not all get annoyed when a quarterback after the game or a coach after a loss comes out and all we hear from them is, oh, got to watch the game film. Oh, you know, we got a couple things to work on in practice uh, and we'll look to bounce back next week. We hear that. Um, we hear that um, every single week. Absolutely. I would much rather any day have a quarterback come out and tell us how he's really feeling. And, and that's what Matt Nichols did. And that's what Vernon Adams did. Uh, a couple weeks ago with the whole Johnny Manziel situation when Vernon Adams had his start. I applaud these guys for coming out and speaking, you know, speaking their mind, because frankly, I would take that over cliches any day. Well, can I just add something to kind of put this subject to rest? Sure. We, we, I didn't mean you, spend our hard-earned dollars to go to these games. 
what do people do when they're not satisfied with the product that they get? There's dis- dissatisfaction. That's what this is. I also feel that Matt Nichols, being the leader of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, is owed to come up with some kind of explanation being the leader for the lackluster performance. I think the small portion of why he said what he said was he was frustrated with himself. He was frustrated with the way that offense played based on the way they played in the last couple of weeks. And I think it was said a little bit out of emotion and frustration. And honestly, I expect Matt Nichols when the Bombers hit the practice field tomorrow and when he addresses the media, it wouldn't the least bit surprise me if he comes out with some kind of an apology. Yeah, I could see that. And and whether it's straight from him or whether, you know, he's told to do that, we obviously may never know. But I will say this, I think part of the reason he was left in late in this game is for Mike O'Shea to make a statement to people that, you know, Matt Nichols is this team's quarterback still going forward. And uh, frankly, I think that's the right decision. What I would like to see, you know, going back to, I think that first game against BC was Nichols' first game back from injury, where Strebler Mm -hmm. was rotated in for a couple plays there and was really effective. I personally would like to see that a little more because I feel like they've gone away from it. But Matt Nichols is the number one quarterback in Winnipeg. He is the leader of this team, and he will be going forward. End of discussion on that. I think it's no accident, and I just want to touch on what you did. It's no accident the Bombers had success when they had that little running package for Strebler, and they confused the hat out of BC until they, until they blew that game. I think he came back to... I believe it was the game that they blew in BC. Um, but yeah. where, like, we saw that I'm just a little bit concerned with the use of Chris Traveler of late and how the Bombers have kind of gone away from that design package for him. Yeah, I think that's something we want to see them uh, go to a little more going forward. Um, just, we need to move on soon because we spent half an hour and we've only gotten through one game. Um, defense for the Bombers, uh, an ugly performance here. Do you have concerns or was this just a really good Ottawa offense? No, I honestly, I have no concerns. I know people will say, well, they gave up 500 yards. Oh, sure. They gave up more than that. Um, when your defense is on the field because your team takes stupid penalties. Every single time you think you're off the field and you take a dumb penalty to extend drives, it wears on your defense whether you like to hear it or not. Absolutely. Uh, Let's move on to our next game here, Mike. The BC Lions and the Toronto Argonauts in Toronto. A lot of people showing up to this game. Uh, definitely a larger crowd than Toronto normally has. Uh, 18,104. It's about 8,000 more people than a couple weeks ago. Uh, 24-23, Toronto picks up the win. Yeah, and I'll say that that's only because of the Toronto exhibition. And basically everybody that bought an Argo ticket got free entry to the exhibition. Hmm. Sorry to break it to you, but it's the true 
No, definitely, yeah, but certainly uh, the crowd was there, and the crowd was loud, and Toronto, to their credit, has now bounced back to a 3-5 and five record, and all three wins have come at home. Oh, well, and it's, it's, it's a very interesting scenario um, with, with what happened. Uh, you know, with all of a sudden, McLeod Bethel-Thompson kind of resur- resurrecting a little bit of life in, into Toronto's offense. I don't think it's an accident, but, you know, with McLeod Bethel-Thompson and the big comeback two weeks ago and the bye week, and, you know, Mark Trestman is too good of a coach to have a team that keeps losing. And I think we're going to start to see Toronto turn a corner here the next couple of weeks. Yeah, 3-5 three and, three and five record, 2-0 and oh. With McLeod, Bethel Thompson is the starter, and they face Montreal this next week, which is a favorable matchup for them. So Toronto, you know, we looked at them early in the season uh, as a team that was going to struggle a lot this year, and all of a sudden they may be, you know, be able to contest Hamilton and take second place in the East Division. Wow. Just wow. Um, Could you have seen that after the first four weeks of the season? No. In fact... Three weeks ago, because they had a bye last week after that crazy comeback win against Ottawa, at halftime in that game against Ottawa, I pronounced them to be a tire fire. Because terrible start to the year. They get blown out by the Bombers in back-to-back weeks. Um, They're getting blown out at halftime to Ottawa. They turn that one around, win that somehow, and now they pick up a one-point win over BC. Oddly enough, two-game winning streak under McLeod Bethel-Thompson both by one point, and both were comeback wins. And, and sure, they're impressive, but Toronto needs to pick things up a little bit more so that they don't play from behind and don't have to squeak out a short win. Did you see the end of this game? Uh, I did a little, yes. Uh, where Manny Arsenal basically makes a big catch, runs the ball to midfield, tried, tried to kick it, ends up flubbing the kit and falling down. And that's the football game. Crazy. Only in the CFL. Only in the CFL. Now, I didn't see much from the game, obviously, because I was gone. But are we concerned here with BC suddenly win one, lose one, win one, lose one, inability to win away from BC place? Yeah, I mean, they're winless on the road, I believe, right? Three wins yep. at home, 0-5 on the road. That's obviously a concern for them. Um, they'll be at home to Saskatchewan this week, so certainly that's a little bit easier, at least playing at home. But you, you got to win on the road if you're going to be competitive. And I thought, you know, I thought what BC's done really well and what they did really well in that home win against Edmonton is find a way to make halftime adjustments. But right. they didn't necessarily do that in this one. And you mentioned it. They kind of they flubbed late, and uh, they, they couldn't close it out. And, and remember, they had, chance, they had a chance about a half a minute earlier. They got the ball. Like, they were fortunate. I, BC, as I recall, had the football two or three times in the last three minutes or so, or just over three minutes, with a chance to put the winning points on the board. Yeah. And they, could, and, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They could not get it done. 
Um, I don't know. What do you see? What, what do you make of this BC team? Because I thought they were on the on the rise. I liked what they've done under Travis Lule. Obviously, this game's a setback. What? How do you sum up the Lions? Well, I mean, to be honest, I I I think the Lions are right where I, right where I personally thought they would be. Yeah, definitely not where I expected them to be. I think I had them having a strong bounce back here. Honestly, the way the BC Lions are playing right now, if they get between seven and if they get between seven and ten wins this year, that's kind of where BC's projection is. Somewhere between seven and eleven and ten and eight. Now Toronto's defense obviously stepped up big time in this one and forced a couple turnovers there, especially late in the game. Uh, yeah, Mar- uh, Mar- what's his name there? Ball on the corner for yeah, Toronto? Marcus Ball. Bailed himself out of some potentially big, big trouble. Talk about only in the CFL moments where BC fumbles the ball, Marcus Ball, I believe, picks it up, runs, fumbles the ball again, BC takes over, Instead of looking at third down now, they all of a sudden get a fresh down because it was a turnover of possession again. This league, I tell you. Well, I mean, is it almost like the situation, right, where you fumble the football, they recover it, they fumble it, and you get it? Yeah. Because that's a first down every time because the ball changes possession. And that's exactly what happened. So it's a turnover for both teams, basically. One of those weird nuances of the CFL. And I think, honestly, the same thing applies in the NFL. That I'm not sure. As long as they rule it to change of possession. One of the big things, Mike, for Toronto, you know, we've talked about how they needed help at wide receiver position. And uh, frankly, throughout the first several weeks of the season, totally forgot about this guy because he was injured the first, you know, eight, nine weeks. Anthony Coombs back in the lineup in a very impressive fashion. Yeah, big catch. Um, honestly, I had forgotten about him until I saw that he had played. Uh, it's no accident that he uh, finds himself uh, having success that he did. Yeah, leading receiver for the Argos, 56 yards, one touchdown. Uh, you mentioned the long touchdown there, and I, I mean, having him back certainly helps. So you got Armonte Edwards, S.J. Green, Anthony Coombs now. That's not bad for your top three receivers. And especially when you have a strong running back in James Wilder Jr., who had himself a fairly good day with 140 yards. Yeah, it's a, it's a very... Uh, Coombs is kind of the Nick Dempsey type. Uh, right. Nick Dempsey for the Blue Bombers, if you want a comparison. And it's interesting you compare them, because they're both former University of Manitoba Bisons, right? And if I had a hunch, both will play for the Bombers at some point. One is. And to be honest with you, I think it's only a matter of time before Coombs finds his way in blue and gold. Perhaps we will wait and see on that. Um, Can Toronto get on a roll here? And uh, how long can McLeod Bethel-Thompson go? Uh, leading this team on a win streak. Yeah, because to be honest with you, uh, first off, I have a funny uh, thing about McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Sure. The guy plays football, right? Yeah. He's classified as a CFO rookie, but he's had a really good track record. So really, he's been around even though he's named a rookie. Right. He's anyway, 30, Not to mention he's 30 years of age. 
Right. So he's been around football. He just hasn't been able to step, you know, with the team. So I don't know. I don't know if we should be overly surprised um, about McLeod Bethel Thompson and and how good he's been. But that aside, when you play football, you sweat like unbelievable. I, I have never seen a guy take off his helmet and his hair is in mere perfect <laughs> condition. Perfect condition, like McLeod Bethel Thompson. Not to mention, he's got a pretty impressive beard to go with it. <laughs> and I would just like to know what kind of hair products McLeod Bethel Thompson uses. If uh, if we can ever get him on the podcast, that's the first question we'll ask. I just I just found it pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Toronto takes this one 24-23, both teams at 3-5. and five. Uh, Let's move on to the next one, Mike, the second one. Of the Saturday doubleheader, I had a couple hours of break in between, but Edmonton hosting Montreal. This game still went on, even though it was looking real dicey early Saturday due to the smoke from the wildfires. Uh, The air quality was dipping to a point, or I guess rising to a point where it was, you know, they almost didn't play this game, but they do, and uh, full pun intended, the Eskimos smoked. The Montreal Alouettes, forty to twenty-four. First off, before I comment on the game, uh, condolences and well wishes to those in uh, BC affected by the wildfire. Absolutely. I uh, talked to somebody that is doing some firefighting uh, command center posting uh, in evacuation zones. He's been a forest. He's been a He's been in the fire department for, I think he told me, 25 years. He's never seen fires like what they're getting. Yeah, yeah, crazy. And uh, for all of the people, you know, giving their tireless time and efforts to try to fight these fires, uh, thank you for everything you're doing to try to protect people and save people. And especially... uh, I know on Wednesday I saw some pictures from Edmonton where it was like one in the afternoon, and it was as dark as it was about a nine o'clock at night. Crazy. And I think they said the air quality was ten plus. Yeah. On the scale, the maximum is ten. So, you know, just thought I talked about that quickly uh, before we get into the game. Absolutely, and uh, we're thinking of everyone affected by the forest fires and those who are fighting it as well. Mike, another week, another new starter for Montreal. Uh, Johnny Manziel with concussion symptoms did not play. So Antonio Pipkin gets the start. And yes, of course, I was tempting the idea of putting Antonio Pipkin in my CFL fantasy lineup this week. I did not. I put Matt Nichols in instead. Um, But... What do you make of Pipkin in his first career start? Can I start this week? Well, I imagine Johnny's going to be back. Well, I mean, from what I saw, Pipkin was 10 of 11, 100-plus yards, and a touchdown for the vast majority of the first half. So maybe one of the better performances out of the club of quarterbacks lately. Yeah, but, uh, you know, if Vernon Adams, after his performance against Edmonton last time, didn't get the second straight start uh, in comparison to Manziel, I really doubt Pipkin will. 
Uh, if Johnny's ready to go, he'll play. Personally, you know, I'd like to see the rotation of quarterbacks continue and uh, Austin Apodaca get his first start. Apodaca? He used to play for the Bombers. Really? Austin Apodaca. I remember the guy's name. I want to say about two years ago. Played a pre played a preseason game. Oh, that I don't know. I I had never heard of him until I looked at their roster a couple weeks ago, to be honest. Yeah, I know. He's a fairly big guy from what I can remember. Anyways, uh, back to the relevant conversation of this game. Uh, Pipkin goes 14 of 25 for 217, a touchdown in an interception, picks up 23 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, that being said, they still lose 40 to 24. This defense has got to start finding a way to put things together in Montreal. I happen to guess what we talked about when it came to the Alouettes in the preseason. Didn't we say something to the effect of the defense would be better than the offense? I think I said the defense was actually going to be great this year. Correct. So... On both of our parts, it appears, at least for the last couple of weeks, but the script has somewhat been flipped. I mean, it's just unbelievable that, and I don't know if this should be really as a surprise, Montreal's offense and defense and special teams don't seem to complement each other well in the same game. One day the defense has a really good game. The offense has a lot left their game. This one, the offense was fairly good, but the defense kind of let them down. And I think it speaks to just how far away Montreal is talent-wise. Yeah, this this Montreal defense has certainly had its struggles, giving up a lot of points, giving up a lot of yards. I think that's now three straight weeks. The opposing quarterback's thrown for over 400 yards against them, but... And how many, ga- how many games is that over 40 points, too? Uh, I'll look that up here, but I mean, in terms of throwing over 400 yards, to be fair, two of those games have come against Mike Riley, and should we not expect that from Mike Riley? Well, yes and no. I mean, you expect your defense to come up and make stops once in a while instead of being obliviated every week, but uh, as a... As a I'm reminded they appear to have given up a fair bit of some defensive uh, pieces in the Manziel trade. Right. Namely, Jamal Westerman is one of them. Well, Jamal Westerman is the one they gave up. Um, Four games this year, they've given up over 40 points. It doesn't seem like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen that much of Montreal this year, just just the way their schedule's been. But it just seems like Montreal struggled to get a pass rush of any time. Well, and, they, they managed four sacks in this game, but the, the real thing is they're just giving up a lot of yards through the air, and, and Mike Riley tore them apart, and even Shaq Cooper on the ground in this game, you know, getting the start over the injured C.J. Gable. 17 carries for 102 yards along the ground. Shaq Cooper had a great game. And Mike Riley spread the ball around ridiculously well. Uh, does just about every other West Division quarterback. Now, 
Bryant Mitchell is a guy who has struggled to get into the lineup all year long. I thought he was great last year when he was in the lineup for Edmonton. I thought he should have been in the lineup. I expected him to have a huge year this year, as did many. I think Derek Taylor even predicted him to be the leading receiver in the CFL this year coming in. Hadn't gotten into the starting lineup until this game, and much to the joy of Kayla from the Eskimo Empire podcast, seven catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. Batman had himself a nice day. Well... Um, yes, he did. And in fairness to Bryant Mitchell, I mean, I suggested this maybe last week or the week before, but you should did a lot to get it into the lineup. In fairness, what the way Edmonton's starting receivers are, who do you take out to replace with Bryant Mitchell? Well, uh, you know, Bryant Mitchell came in because they got some guys back on the defensive side, they got some Canadians back there, so they didn't have to start two Canadians at wide receiver, which let Bryant Mitchell come into the lineup. The question now becomes, Vidal Hazleton's ready to get back into the game. Where does he go? Because you can't take Mitchell out after that start. Drell Walker, Duke Williams, Kenny Stafford obviously aren't coming out, and I don't think they have the flexibility to go five guys at wide receiver, so... You're now at a point where you have a very good receiver in Vidal Hazleton who's struggling to get in the lineup. I think, to be honest with you, and this is just me, I, I think if you absolutely want to get Vidal Hazleton in the lineup, you do it at the expense of Kenny Stafford. Absolutely not. I, I strongly disagree. Kenny Stafford is having a heck of a season, the best season of his career. He's at 570 yards through nine games on pace for over 1,000. I mean, I guess it depends where. I guess it depends how you view your team, right? Yeah, I don't know how Hazelton gets back into the lineup. Maybe he rotates. And I mean, this is certainly a good problem for Edmonton to have. I know where this problem came from. And that is the fact that last year they had so many injuries and so many unplanned injuries. And. This year, much to their delight, the injuries haven't happened uh, yet at wide receiver. And I'm not saying you're going to start wishing upon injuries, but uh, just look at what happened in Saskatchewan this week and how quick things can change. The, the crazy thing is they got they lost their two of their top receivers in the offseason in Zilstra to the NFL and then releasing Adarius Bowman. And they still have the issue of trying to get guys into the lineup. Because you know what? they're that deep. I'm not even convinced that Zilstra sticks with the, with the uh, fighting. But I mean, eventually he finds his way back here. That's just my inclination. And then I don't even know if you find a way to get him into Edmonton if you can. Yeah, if you had him back into that mix, oh boy. Uh, one of the things I do want to talk about is the injury to Terrell Sutton. Uh, I didn't see the injury, but uh, from what I heard, it certainly didn't look good. Uh, he was taken off on the cart, and that's terrible to see. Terrell Sutton is the heart and soul of the Alouettes. He works hard game in and game out, despite whatever the score is. He's one of the most underrated players in the league. You just hope Terrell Sutton's okay and he's not out long term, and you know, Coach Sherman said after the game that 
it wasn't as bad as it initially looked. Uh, and we hope Terrell Sutton's going to be okay and uh, going to get back out on the field soon. Now, my mind is a bit of a brain cramp. Who's the backup running back? Uh, that would be uh, William Stanback. Stanback. Oh, yeah, him, okay. Who, who who looks like a very promising young guy to, to his credit as well. So, you know, maybe this is his chance to make a bit of a name for himself. And maybe that's why they found... Uh, Brandon Rutley. Uh, uh, yeah, that's why they found Rutley to be maybe perhaps expendable. Mike, let's move on to the final game of the week. The Giants have finally fallen. The almighty Calgary Stampeders no longer have a zero in the loss column. They fall to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 40-27. to You watched this game. I haven't had the chance to do so yet. Tell us all about it, Mike. Well, I watched this game in... Great shock and disappointment, to be very honest with you. But if you want a quick analysis of what happened, basically look at what happened when the two teams met two or three weeks ago and basically flipped the situation around. Lots of turnovers resulting in touchdowns. Um, it was 6 nothing. Very fortunate early enough that it wasn't 14 nothing. Uh, so that's one had... An early inability to finish drives, and it led to two touchdowns. Uh, sorry, two field goals, not two touchdowns, although it should have been two touchdowns. Uh, uh, Kalaros underthrew one of the receivers wide open. Uh, drove it, he would make nine times out of ten. And unfortunately, it wasn't caught. Ended up being a field goal. I think that led to the second field goal uh, to make it six to nothing. Then what wound up happening was a uh, very interesting situation. Uh, Calgary managed to drive a little bit. They were somewhere in and around the Saskatchewan 40, something like that. And Dave Dickinson allows to go for it on a third down and three. And that had me scratching my head like, I know you're Bo Levi Mitchell. But the way the Saskatchewan defense had played to that point in the football game, I found it to be a very questionable decision. Now, to go for it on third and three, I did just about everybody that I talked to in Calgary last night during the game, and uh, even some Ryder fans that I talked to. Uh, anyway, so they ended up going for it on third and three. And to the credit of the, the former quarterback there, Nick Marshall, um, he challenged the uh, challenged the receiver by jumping the route, and next thing you know, he touches it, goes untouched for the pit sits, and a touchdown and two point conversion. It's fourteen to nothing. Uh, a couple drives later, I might have the sequences a little bit wrong, um, but anyway, what wound up happening was there was a punt on that Calgary drive. I'm not sure if it was the next one or the one after that. Uh, there wound up being a, a block kick where the guy basically walks around the edge untouched. And I mean untouched as in you or I could have basically ran up to the punter and blocked that punt. Uh, I think it was a glove and scooped it up and yeah. uh, ran that in for a score. And basically at that point, the route was on. Uh, the interesting part was... Uh, I think it was 24 to 6, I want to say, at halftime, something yep, like yep. that. 
Um, Calgary comes out of the half looking to gain some momentum. And this is the part that I found kind of interesting. Saskatchewan piled on a touchdown early in the third quarter uh, to go up, I want to say, 31-6 to at that point. I might be off by a point or two. No, no, you are correct. Okay, so then it's 31-6, to and I'm just looking at the sideline one. This isn't exactly what Calgary had in mind (laughs) or the rest of Canada. Not to mention that touchdown early in the third quarter. Guess who scored it? Nick Marshall, the defensive back with a three-yard touchdown run. What? I didn't... I didn't find out that that was Nick Marshall until this morning. I thought that was David Watford. And, and so Marshall runs it in. You mentioned it to me. Became the first player to score uh, offensive and defensive touchdown in the same game since Stiegel did back in, I want to say, 99. Yep, you're right. Crazy, crazy. Uh, Calgary comes back uh, late in the third quarter with two touchdowns offensively to try to get back into this one. Uh, in the fourth quarter, a couple field goals by Saskatchewan with a Calgary touchdown late as well. But Saskatchewan takes this one 40-27. I'll go out and say this. Is Nick Marshall eligible for Rookie of the Year? Is he a CFL rookie? I think yep. he is. Yep. Uh, if I get to vote, can I vote now already? Because I'd like to give it to Nick Marshall. This, guy, this guy's incredible. Here's the pain. You're talking about a rookie bat. Also missed, I think it was six weeks. Right. He's, as, as well. He's played what now? Three games, I believe, and he's made an impact in Three every or single four. And he's made an impact in every single game. Had a huge interception in the first one. He's got two or three of those already. Had a huge interception in the first one against Toronto. Shut down Duke Williams a couple weeks ago. And uh, now again, I mean, he picks off. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell for the touchdown. He runs one in on offense. This guy is having a heck of a season, and several guys on that Saskatchewan defense, a lot of guys, I should say, are. I mean, Sam McGuavin, you talked about him. He's had a great year all year long. Uh, Matt Elam comes in at the defensive back position. I believe this is his first game. He picks up two sacks, looked like a beast out there. And Charleston Hughes picks up another two sacks. Yeah, he's got 11. One would argue you could have had two more um, as well. Um, what? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. That's what, nine games into the year and he has 11, or eight games in and he has 11 sacks, which you were telling me earlier today was as many as he had all of last year and two more than the Toronto Argonauts as an entire team have. And I think that sums up some of the Argos problems at three and five. Certainly. Um, can you believe? Well, look at this in hindsight. Hamilton. What did Hamilton do? They they traded away Charleston Hughes for Vernon Adams, because Hughes went to Ca- from Calgary to Hamilton, and then right. and then from Hamilton to Saskatchewan, and they got Vernon Adams back. Vernon Adams isn't on the team anymore. You, you can you imagine if Hamilton. Had Charleston Hughes still? No. Like, that trade didn't end up working out very well for them. Well, and let's not kid ourselves. 
chalked and huge wanted to light a little fire under his former team. Absolutely. Because I think he would be the first to admit that two weeks ago it didn't exactly go according to plan. Right. The fact of the matter is, to be, to be very honest with you, I have seen two games between Saskatchewan and Calgary. I would not want to see Saskatchewan, if I'm Calgary, in the playoffs. Absolutely not. And uh, it, yeah. it is the recipe for the doctor because I think in large part, for six and a half to seven of the eight quarters, the Riders have been the better team against the Stampeders. So the interesting thing here, Mike, is we've talked long and hard about the Riders' inability to score touchdowns on offense. They put 40 points on the board. Oddly enough, the only offensive touchdown they scored was Nick Marshall, a defensive player. Still a problem. And that's why I'm not willing to cement that the Riders have done anything at all. Because what happens? Let's say, hypothetically speaking, the Riders are in BC Saturday night. If they lose to BC in BC... You're basically right back where you were before this game. That's that's fair. One would argue that the results are maybe switched. Right. You know, it's expected to lose this Calgary game, but win this BC game. Yeah. For Saskatchewan, it is imperative that they put result on top of result on top of result on top of result. It is going to annoy the Ryder Nation if, they don't see the same ton of effort on Saturday in BC. And quite frankly, it is going to annoy the hat out of myself as well. Now, the offense didn't put up a touchdown, but I think they, numbers-wise, it looks like they certainly got on a bit of a roll. You know, Zach Caleros, 25 of 34 for 270 yards. That's pretty good. Uh, That's the most the rider quarterback has thrown for since I don't know when. Uh, they have over 100 yards rushing, and uh, we, we question what the release of Doron Carter would mean, you know, uh, at wide receiver. And perhaps they have a new guy stepping up here because Jordan Williams Lambert had 10 catches for 152 yards. Unbelievable. That was Williams Lambert's coming out party. And guess what? Tyler Crepenia on the other side? He's not getting the job back with the Riders next year unless Lauder hurts himself. Right. Because it is just unreal how, and I'm sounding like a politician right now. I'm so fired up. <laughs> but that is just unbelievable how one man's missed opportunity is all another guy needs to perform. And let's not kid ourselves. I believe that the Riders loved what happened last week. I don't think the team liked Duran. They can say whatever they want. But I don't think it's an accident that you removed Duran Carter, who's supposedly problems in the locker room and takes up a lot of Chris Jones' time to try to satisfy that character. Then you added I like Ron Bank who didn't play but sure made a heck of an impact. I don't think that that value, the value of that small move, can be understated. For sure. Uh, and I, I think if there's a turning point in 
the Riders' season. It's the release of Jerron Carter. And if I'm the Bombers, if I'm Calgary, if I'm Edmonton, if I'm everybody in the West, BC. I'm looking out for the Riders right now. Uh, Calgary's side of things, I mean, if you were to just look at the stats line on this game, uh, you would think they had a fairly good game. Uh, Bully by Mitchell threw four touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, had the one interception. They had a decent run game. Uh, was it really just a matter of they shot themselves in the foot with a couple turnovers here? Absolutely. The uh, The interesting part to me was, and this was the one part I didn't get to, which I wanted to get to, and I'm so glad you're allowing me to get to it. After that early second half touchdown, Calgary got two touchdowns and two two-point conversions to pull the game to where they had a chance to come back and win. It was probably 16 points or 15 points or 17 points, something like that. It was a two-score game at one point. I think they even... I think they even got it down to 11. That's what it was. They got it down to 11, back to 11, after the touchdown and the two two-point conversion. There was an incident that happened, and I forget the name of it. I think it was Emmanuel Davis, and correct me if I'm wrong. He makes the unbelievable, unfortunate mishap of getting into an altercation which just himself chucked out of the football game. And it's a big 25-yard penalty, and the whole there was a holding call on top of that. So at the end of the day, it just offset it and moved the ball up 15 yards and an automatic first down. Some guys lose their head for whatever reason, and it happens. It happened to the Bombers. It happened to the Riders. It happened to everybody, seemingly by Calgary. It's and interesting. I'm so, I'm so glad it happened to them because... I was beginning to think that it wasn't. Although, I have to say, as a Bomber fan, this scares me a little, having Calgary pissed off after a loss coming into the game against Winnipeg. And certainly Winnipeg, well, it's interesting because these were two teams that were on a roll, and now they both come into this game together with, you know, off of losses. But we'll talk about that a little more on our Week 11 preview show this week. Mm-hmm. Um just to wrap this one up, because it has been a long one, let's do our yep. offensive, defensive, and special teams players of the week. Yep. Um, you know, you know one interesting thing that happened on Friday night, Mike? Uh, at the Bomber game, I don't know if they do this everywhere else, but the Bombers always switch offense and defense, which side they'll introduce prior to the game. They'll go through and introduce yep. these guys as starters. They introduce the special teams. On Friday night, the starting special teams unit. And I'm applauding in the background because it's about time. I have never seen that. I absolutely loved it. I don't know if that was just, I don't know if that was supposed to play into the diversity is strength campaign uh, or not, but I loved it. So on that note, we're starting with special teams player of the week uh, here as well. I think I got to say Brett Lauder. Six field goals. Um... He does it again. Do you agree with me on that one, or do you have someone else in mind? No, for special no, team? no argument. No argument. So Brett Lauder, six field goals, a uh, couple long ones, I believe, as well. A couple forty-three yarders, uh, and then he had a couple shorter ones. So great game. And especially, by him. especially he made one when uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I would encourage you, uh, anybody that missed this game, to just watch it because there was some 
hilarious stuff that happened. It was the live mic game between Calgary and Saskatchewan. Okay, so Dickinson before one of the field goal kits, and you can hear this on the live mic, starts taunting Brett Lauder. It is the funniest thing ever. Lauder, I'm pretty sure, hears it, boots this thing right down the middle of the uh, right down the middle of the pipes, and gives Dickinson a little stare, like, "Go ahead, taunt me some more." I I just found it pretty hilarious. Who are you going on the defensive side of the ball? I have no clue. I, I I could pick five different guys from Saskatchewan alone. Yeah. Take your pick. I mean, Matt Elam, uh, Mike Edom had a good game. Sam McGuavin, Charleston Hughes, uh, Nick Marshall. Um, I, I'm going to say Nick Marshall because that set the tone early in the game uh, with that pick six, and then he also got the touchdown on offense. Um, you know, it was six, nothing. He picks him off at the end of the first quarter to make it 12 or I think 14, nothing. I, I got to go Nick Marshall. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Matt Elam because he was all over the field, especially after Chris Jones robbed him of his chance to play last week. And I didn't, me- didn't mention that on last week's show. It made, made me so mad that I forgot. How do you have a roster clerical error? which made Matt Elam ineligible last week. Yeah, well, last week they were on a bye. It was the week before. but uh, yes. The week before, the game right. before. Um, offensive side of the ball, I, I'll give props to Jordan Williams-Lambert with 10 catches for 152 yards, but I don't want to just go all Saskatchewan this week because there were certainly other great performances. Um I'll go Mike Riley, 424 yards passing, three touchdowns, uh, and then one on the ground as well. A huge game by Mike Riley. All right, here's mine. You ready? Yeah. Jeremiah Johnson. Why? 11 rushes, 60 yards, five receptions, 57 yards. None of those yards were easy. That, that Ardo defense, which was dialed in. All right, that's fair. Uh, a lot of honorable mentions around the league. And, uh, Mike, game of the week, which one do you think it was? Was it that BC-Toronto uh, crazy finish? or? Here's the interesting thing. BC had such good ball distribution. I'm just quickly looking. Brian Burnham, 4 for 91. Arsenal, 5 for 90. Jeremiah Johnson, 5 for 57. And Kevin Elliott, 4 for 28. Ota Foster even had a catch. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was on the third down fake punt. 13 yards. <laughs> Another abnormal. Um, sorry, what was your question? Game of the week. I'm going to go Cal- Calgary Saskatchewan. That's fair. That's fair. Just because it was completely unexpected. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you, especially with Calgary coming off the bye. Um, couple great games this past week. We're looking forward to some great ones going forward. Uh, we'll talk about the matchups in week 11 on our week 11 preview. Uh, but that is the end of this episode, Mike. Any super quick final thoughts before we wrap this up? Well, Calgary losing off a bye for the first time since 2004. I think with the stat I saw, it's just, just ridiculous. Ridiculous indeed. Uh, check out the show, uh, the preview show coming out later this week as well. You can find our podcast and all of the podcast platforms iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, 
check out our website, mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. That last part all hyphenated. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at CFC on MikeFM. Uh, follow uh, at CF Pod Network as well to check out all of the other great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening to this episode of the Canadian Football Countdown. We'll talk to you in our Week 11 preview, and until then, have a great day, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.